0: This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today we have another Q&A. Some of my favorite ones are always the Q&As because I just get to ramble off a ton of questions. Um, We started off with a little bit of a talk about Kobe, uh, which I think was very relevant, and there's some powerful lessons inside that. Very unfortunate, so paying our respects to him. Then we dove into some very specific questions, basically just straight training and nutrition. So we didn't get too much outside of uh, the coaching realm today, so you're going to get a lot of practical application and takeaways for training and nutrition advice. Um, And I have to make one quick, actually three, (laughs) sorry, quick announcements. Um, The first one being... Keep your eyes peeled. Next Wednesday, something epic is happening. And that's all I can tell you. The new website will be live, but we are also also making a major announcement. um, And we are... uh we're doing some big things let's just say that and i'm really excited for you guys to see there's gonna be a video explaining what we're doing the new website will clearly give it away so st- pay attention to facebook youtube instagram um, and the podcast on thursday next week but mainly wednesday is is the day where we are releasing the new website which is going to be unbelievable and along with that is a major announcement inside a video inside our instagram post and inside the website itself So stay tuned, make sure you watch what we put out, and make sure you go check out the website. Just keep your eyes open Wednesday the 5th, shit is going down. Um, The next quick announcement is just a reminder for all the coaches out there. If you are listening to this and you wanna be a part of the Impact Collective, which is the event that I am speaking at, hosted by Jason Phillips and NCI in San Diego this year. Last time it was in Arizona, and there was a ton of people out there. We had 130 coaches. Um, Impact was definitely created, but more importantly, practical application. Uh, There were so many powerful takeaways, so many amazing speakers, so many amazing connections and relationships built in that room on that day that I really, really do not want any of you coaches who want to actually grow, not only your business, but grow yourself as a person, so personally develop and build yourself as a coach. I don't want you to miss this opportunity. Not only is it a great way to connect with me in person, um, but to also connect with Jason, John Romanello, Brian DaCosta. Um, Drew Canole, uh, Chase Tuning, Josiah Novak, there's gonna be a ton of great speakers there and then a room full of coaches that are in a similar position as you. Last time, tickets sold out super quick and we just started pushing this and just started launching it. It's in San Diego, um, the week end of, I'm gonna pull out my calendar because I can't believe I can't remember, Ch-ch-ch. February 27th through March 1st. I already have my Airbnb and flight and everything booked. I'm ready to go, um, I'm excited, I'm making my speech as we talk. So. Make sure you guys check that out. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes. And then the last announcement, as always, guys, do me a huge favor. Head over to iTunes. Leave us a five-star rating and review. We are growing in the charts, and it's making me really, really excited and proud that I'm going to be able to reach that million-download mark, which is a huge milestone for us because we are just trying to deliver value, and that's a big sign that we are doing just that. So without any further ado, let's get on to the podcast. Dope. Uh, before we get into this q and um, I feel like I have to mention Kobe, um, and just say like, I mean, obviously rest in peace, um, from this, this is kind of wild because like me and Shannon were having this conversation, neither one of us, I mean, to be completely honest, care about basketball at all. We don't watch basketball. Obviously we know who Kobe is, but I, I was kind of like, I mean, a few things I shared with, with you and the guys in the group, like how, how crazy it is because you watch somebody like Kobe who is a really, like, he's just put together. Yeah. Very intelligent, very successful, very athletic, great father. Like, all these amazing roles. He almost seems untouchable. Yeah. And then something so tragic happens. Um, and, and as a father, in this circumstance that happened, it just fucking, dude, it broke my heart. But, like, the things that stood out to me is, one, it affected me on such a deep personal level. And I've never paid attention to Kobe in my life. But it just that just goes to show how powerful of a character he was for sure that yeah you know like i mean the impact he even has like that that has on me when i don't even watch the sport or i don't even know a single stat of him i don't know anything all i know is he played for the lakers that's it and it it it's just crazy cuz like now in my head i just keep thinking like man like life is so short and so unexpected and nothing is guaranteed and that's the dude like that was so sudden and crazy and surprising. And it's like, you have to make your days worth it, you know? And I think that, like, he had su- like he had such an impact on the world that people like me who didn't even care about what he did for a living are, like, touched and moved yeah. and, like, hurt because of it. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. So it just, and I guess for me, it's just, like, it, it, it motivates me to continue doing this kind of stuff because it makes me feel like maybe we are having a serious impact on individuals who we don't even know. We don't even know Absolutely. who don't email us, don't talk to us, don't respond to us, don't ask questions, don't work with us personally, but we're doing our part to leave an influence on the world in a good way and it, it, it as sad as it was, it was like a, a an eye-opening moment to be like do more of it, you know, keep doing what you're doing but do more, do better and understand the value it brings. Um because me and Brad were talking about it on the podcast I did with them today. Like, a lot of people don't know how difficult it is to actually put together so much free content um, behind the scenes. And, like, this just reminded me why we do it. Um, but I just feel like I had to bring it up just because it's such a sad moment. Um, I mean, it's it, it's everywhere, obviously. But um, he had a huge impact on a li- lot of lives. And I can't a even lot. imagine what the, the – like, some of our friends, I mean, including you that are really, really into basketball – I can't even imagine because I barely knew anything about him, and I was impacted, and it was like, like really, really, really sad, and just it just moving, and, and I feel for his wife, and like that's just,
1: yeah, damn, their thirteen-year-old daughter, man, dude, horrible,
0: um, insane, that's I'm, so sad. I'm glad that they they changed a lot immediately at the Grammys and stuff like that to to honor him and stuff like yeah. right away, and and you know like, he's gonna continue to be honored in so many ways because he was such an influential figure, but it just goes to show people like. Like, nobody's untouchable. Yeah. Like, if there was anybody that seemed untouchable, it was him. and Life it, is
1: unpredictable.
0: It's so unpredictable.
1: <clears throat> Not only, like, he was such a, like, global icon. Like, even though he had an impact on people like you that had no idea anything about him. To me that, you know, regularly watches basketball and know a lot about him. But people that idolize this guy. Yeah. Like, his work ethic was beyond. Beyond. And, like, I keep watching every single uh, testimony, whatever you want to call it, throughout players and coaches and anybody that's ever come in contact with him. There was a guy we went to high school with, Justin Downer. Mm-hmm. I read his Instagram post this morning. He was a uh, coach at I think Cal State Poly or something down there, mm-hmm.
0: where uh, I, I coached him for a little bit.
1: Yeah. Oh. So no he sh- did,
0: yeah. He did nutrition with me. Absolutely. So yeah. he
1: was uh, coaching a team that where Kobe's uh, A.U. team came in, and he like had to save his car spot and stuff, and he talked to him several times and like. Uh, Justin was training a dude from Italy, and Cody's from Italy, and he just, like... Kobe's from Italy? Yeah. Well, oh. n- not from. His dad is in the military, and so oh, they wow. lived over there. Yeah. He speaks, like, four different languages. Wow. Like, insane. But his work ethic was the thing. Yeah. It was just, like, out of the roof. I've
0: seen a lot of quotes um, about his work ethic. Yeah. Um, but... It's crazy. It's wild, man. It's just... I mean, for everybody listening, I guess the only reason I'm bringing it up is just, one, just to pay my respect. Two understand the impact you can have on other individuals because you never know who's watching um and i think like what defines a person is who you are when nobody is watching absolutely and i think he was a person he's i mean he's the guy that people talk about in rap songs about being the last guy in the gym Yep. you know shooting and practicing since he was a little kid when nobody was around and just working and working working and um i mean just just use that to say like if you're not leaving an impact on people in this world like it's to me that's that is the purpose of life, and, sure. and I'm proud to say that we're doing something here that I think is is. I mean, nobody's on the level that Kobe is, but like we're we're doing something that is following in a similar path from a sense of like our purpose Structure. behind, yeah, yeah, what we're doing and why we're doing it. So, um, shout out to Kobe. Uh, hopefully, I mean, I mean, I just I hope the best for his family. Like yeah. it's just, I can't imagine. Shannon's been just broken. Cause she's like trying to like in her mind, like putting herself in the woman. I don't even know his wife's name, but yeah, Vanessa, Vanessa's shoes. And just thinking like, Fuck, I can't even imagine. Yep. Like, so we, uh, me and Blakely were driving cause she was up in Seattle. We were driving to my mom's for my brother's birthday and she lives, uh, across the Narrows Bridge. So over in what's called Olala, yep. which is like a little town over there. And, uh, That's when all this was happening. So Shannon was texting me and was like, just like, text me when you get there. Call me like, like, what's going on? And then like, I got on the phone that I was like, fuck. She was like, I just can't stop thinking because you guys are driving in the rain across Narrows over there. And it's just like, I can't imagine. Yeah. So um, shout out to Kobe. Uh, We'll get on to the questions now. I just had to pay my respect to him and and just, it's been on my mind.
1: Crazy. All right, let's get on the questions. First one is from JSKA T-Bot.
0: Oh, dude, you said, uh. (laughs) I said Adriana. Yeah. And you said Adrian? Yeah. She emailed me and said, you were right. Yeah. She was like, it's Adrian, like the movie Rocky. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I've never seen it spelled that way. And no. she said, like, people don't know. it. Right. That way. Yeah, okay, whatever. All
1: right. So can you sug- suggest a perfect make-your-own-pre-workout formula, like the ingredients and dosages you would use if you're making your own pre-
0: pre-workout? I'm actually going to pull up my the pre-workout I use. Honestly, like, I – shameless plug – Top-notch nutrition. That's, I mean, that's the one I use. So, like, for me, I haven't been using a pre-workout in a long time um, simply because the number one benefit behind pre-workout is caffeine. Mm-hmm. It gives you energy and it allows – like, there, are, there is a lot of research that shows caffeine increases energy. Um, it increases your heart rate. Both of those things lead to uh, higher energy expenditure, faster performance, stronger performance, so on and so forth. So, the main benefit is take the caffeine. The Caffeine is a central nervous system stimulant. You're going to perform harder probably going to get better results over time. Um, You can argue that caffeine is a fat burner. And I mean, if you go to examine.com, it technically is. um, But that's mainly just because, again, it increases your heart rate and it increases your ability to perform, which increases your energy expenditure. So it's like an indirect way to burn more calories, essentially. Um, But you can take caffeine and then sit on the couch and it doesn't make it a fat burner. You know what I mean? Um, But I didn't like a lot of the products on the market because most of them, A, are proprietary blends, which means it's like, Here's our blend and it has all these ingredients in it, but you don't know how much of each is in there. So you could be taking a bunch of a cheap ingredient and barely anything of the things that actually work. Um, So never buy one that has a proprietary blend on it. Um, And I didn't like ones that overused beta alanine because I think beta alanine is like, it's useful, but it's not something you need a ton of. And if you put too much in it, you just get crazy tingles um, and your body feels like it's like just shaking. And if you combine that feeling, um, sometimes they would even put like vitamin B or niacin in it, which gives you that like bright red skin and like itchy. So now I'm like itchy, tingling and caffeinated and I'm just like, this doesn't feel good. I just feel like anxious going into a session. Um, But a lot of companies use those kind of things because you take a pre-workout and you get the tingles. You're like, oh, shit, this is working. And maybe you placebo affect yourself into a better workout, which I mean, fuck, if you have a better workout, whatever. Yeah. Um, but um, I like top-notches because there's far less um, of those things that are just overly stimulating. And I actually like have like a like a good energy, but it's like calm. Like I don't feel overly wired. Um, and it's funny because the cool thing about top-notch, which is one of the reasons why I'm super loyal to them is because Johnny um, and Beth like – personally handwrite notes and send us stuff. They sent like Shannon a Beanie and left us a note about like Blakely's hospital visit. Like, you don't gotta do that, like that's yeah. super thoughtful. Um, they, they send me clothes, they send us like, every time they send us a supplement, they put a personal note in it and everything. Um, and I talked to him about formulations, which is really cool. So there's some post-workout formulas and intra-workout formulas they're coming out with that I've been helping kind of mastermind with them, which I'm excited about. I didn't help with their pre-workout, but it's basically exactly what I would recommend. So you have citrulline malate. They have 4,000 milligrams in there. I always tell people anywhere between 3,500 to 5,000. So 4,000 is right on the money, Um, but you need at least 3,500 up to 5,000. They have 1,500 milligrams of beta alanine. So again, Beta alanine is going to be somewhat helpful and it's going to be helpful more for like long duration stuff. So if you're doing sets that are long, longer than 30 seconds, so you're thinking at least 10 reps, but if you have some high rep stuff for, you know, 20 reps on a squat, great. If you're doing the assault bike, even better. If you're doing the sled, even better. So anytime you're pushing past that threshold where you have a crazy amount of lactic acid coming in, you're. Get that burning sensation. You have to push through that like thirty to forty second of like nonstop work. Yeah. Beta alanine becomes more beneficial. Obviously, it's even more beneficial for like long distance stuff. Um, but that's in there. Um, they got L tyrosine, L theanine, which I actually like L theanine along with my caffeine as well. Um, I take a uh, a nootropic in the morning that has that. It's actually their nootropic, but that has a. Uh, kind of like a calming effect with the caffeine. So for people who get like really buzzed or jittery from caffeine, taking some kind of L-theanine with it kind of controls that a little bit, which helps – not feel overly wired or too anxious. It doesn't go to the point to where you're wanting it
1: to stop afterwards. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of helps you calm down a little bit while taking that. So that's in there. Um, And then they obviously have a uh, caffeine formula in there. Um, And then they have a couple other things like coffee bean extract, which just helps with the caffeine, so on and so forth. Um, But I really like it. It also doesn't have a bunch of like artificial sweeteners, which is nice. But it's very simple. Citrulline malate, beta alanine, um, and then theanine. And that's really what my formula would be. Um, If I had to add anything to it, it would be creatine because he's talking about self-making it. Um, And I know when I used to make my own pre and intra-workout formula, I would always do like – it was citrulline malate, beta alanine, um, and then a caffeine pill. So I would just have those two with a caffeine pill, and then my intra-workout would be highly branched cyclic dection with creatine in it. Um, and that's that's basically what I would use. So for him, the same thing, uh, about 3,500 to 5,000 milligrams of citrulline malate, um, some beta alanine if you want. Citrulline malate is the one that's actually the most beneficial. Um, it's been proven the most times. You don't need any amino acids or anything like that. Um, and then if you can add theanine, I would just to calm down the caffeine, caffeine effect. And if you are going to go with top-notch, uh, go to topnotchnutrition.com slash boomboom. Coupon code is boomboom to get 10 or 15% off, depending on the week you do it it's kind of changes depending on their sales um but that link will be in the show notes and i highly recommend the grape over they're both good i can't remember what the other one is they're both good but the grapes by far the best grape and, for a pre-workout yeah it nice. tastes like uh you remember big league chew absolutely Dude, it chase tastes, tastes exactly like big league chew Liar. yeah <laughs> which is funny because like i said that and johnny like looked at me He was like that's why we did it yeah when i saw him in arizona i was like that's sick dude um but grape is usually not my favorite flavor oh Far mine. Oh, you usually like grape? Anything? Oh, really? Yeah. Sometimes I think it depends who does it. Sometimes grape tastes like fucking medicine or Pepto Bismol and shit. Uh, you love Pepto Bismol? I mean, the taste. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I will do grape soda for sure. Um, but yeah, the grape pre workout is fire. So yeah, that's what I, I recommend. Like the cough syrup. Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cough syrup. Like
1: Pepto Bismol is pink, dude. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, all right, cool, love it. Uh, next question, we're going to McKenzie Larson. When periodizing nutrition for fat loss, how aggressive do you suggest going into going with the, with the deficit if you have about 10 pounds to lose and you're following a two-week deficit, one-week maintenance approach, or a four-week deficit, one-week maintenance approach? Is this dependent on the individual?
0: 100%. <laughs> it's always dependent on the individual. Um, so there's always kind of a spectrum I like to go in when dieting um the less frequent i diet break somebody the uh smaller that percentage of a deficit will be the more frequent i'm i'm giving people diet breaks the higher percentage that will be um so for example if i'm doing 2 weeks on 1 week off i'm probably going to lean closer to that like 20 to 25% deficit um if i'm going 3 to 4 weeks on 1 week off then i'm going closer to that like 5% deficit 5 to 10% deficit so pretty small um, and it really just depends on the person. For some people, I may want to do like a 5 to 10% deficit. So, a, a very casual, conservative deficit with every, even maybe every two weeks, having just like a two or three day refeed, not even a full diet break, or waiting a full three to four weeks and having a full week. Um, but we do that, and that 5 to 10% doesn't do shit because they have a, an adaptive metabolism, whatever it may be, their body's being stubborn, and they just don't see any progress. So, that. Theory I might have based on the fact that they have a high stress lifestyle, so I'm going to go with a more conservative approach. But it just doesn't work, and then at that point I have to switch gears. Um, but then in the other sense, I might think that a the best approach is going with an aggressive deficit, and then that just stresses somebody out and actually creates havoc on their body. Um, so it really, really just depends on the person's lifestyle, stress, timeline, goals, um, current muscle, and desire to maintain that muscle. And I think that's a big one. So if, if for me personally, for example. If I'm going into a cut, I'm more likely to go aggressive and more frequent with my diet breaks because the more frequent I diet break, the two things, A, the more often I'm replenishing glycogen to make sure I'm maintaining muscle and performance, and the shorter my duration of a cut will be. For me, I don't want to spend more than 12 weeks on a cut because the longer I spend on a, a cut, the more stress is on my body, the more likely I am to lose muscle, yeah. unless I'm like prepping for stage, which I probably will never, ever do again. Um, there's just no reason for me to stay in that long deficit. So if I have, I think if I had like perfect scenario, no matter what the client is going to adhere to it, I'm probably going to go with a more aggressive approach so we can spend less total time in a deficit because I think that's more beneficial. And there's a lot of research to show this, that it's very, very difficult to truly lose muscle tissue. Like going in a diet, you're not gonna lose muscle mass, you're gonna lose muscle glycogen, which is just water that is being stored in the tissue but that's replenished like that. So if I go three weeks on and then like three weeks of a deficit, two to three weeks in a deficit at 20%, I'm losing fat, but I'm also getting flat as hell. And I'm like, fuck, I'm losing muscle. I could literally spend a week at maintenance level carbs while drinking a gallon of water a day and I'll fill right up, look shredded and be perfect. I didn't lose any muscle. I just depleted that muscle tissue because muscle tissue stores a lot of water, stores glycogen and the glycogen stores water. So if I replenish that water and glycogen, which is carbohydrates, boom, I feel back out and I'm totally fine. I think a lot of people get flat and they fear that they're losing muscle mass. And it's like, no, it takes like being bedridden from an injury. Like I had, I was on crutch and I had a brace on my leg for two, three months before I can even like limp. Like Mm -hmm. that is what causes muscle loss. Like literally not moving your limb. Um, Was that what she was? She was asking just basically how aggressive I would go.
1: Yep. Uh, How aggressive do you suggest going with the deficit? If you have 10 pounds to lose, okay. And you're following a two week deficit, one week maintenance, or a four week deficit, one week maintenance.
0: Yeah. So I think in either of those scenarios, I think like the, the, like for a 10 pound weight loss, I'm probably going two week deficit, one week diet break in most cases. And I'm going with a more aggressive approach, somewhere between like 15 to 25% deficit, assuming that they're in a healthy place. Cause sometimes people come in and they're like, okay. Um, you, you mentioned on the podcast, 15 to 25%. So I'm eating, uh, 1600 calories right now. So that I can't create that big of a deficit off this. And I'm like, hell no, your maintenance should be 2100. So this doesn't even apply to you because you need to get to a better place before you do this. Definitely. But let's say you're, you're not in a shitty place. You're not already in a deficit. You're actually at a good maintenance. Then I would probably go with a 15 to 25% deficit. I'd probably start at 15 to see if your body responds because the minimal effective dose is always more helpful. If you don't respond after a couple weeks, I'd bump it up to 20 and then 25 if I need to. Um, And then giving you every third week as a full diet break for seven days, Um, depending on how affected you are by the diet, maybe even two weeks on, two weeks off. It just kind of depends on your biofeedback. Um, And I'd probably only spend uh, 12 to 20 weeks there. I know that's a big range, but it depends on how Cause if you're doing two weeks of diet breaking, it's going to be 20 weeks. If you're doing one week, it's going to be like 12 to 16 weeks. But point being, if you only have 10 pounds to lose, probably more aggressive, more frequent diet breaks for a shorter period of time. If you had 30 to 50 pounds to lose, I'm probably saying, Hey, let's diet for 24 weeks. So a full six months and take less frequent because you have so much stored body fat that we don't need to worry about it as much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think in your case, probably two on one off 15 to 25% deficit. Nope.
1: Nice. All right. We'll go to the next one is Heather Hillier. Can you do a mini cut in a reverse or right at, Oh, can you do mini cut in a reverse or right after then go to
0: maintenance? No. All right. So next, I'm just, (laughs) um, I mean, can you elaborate? (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, you, you, I, like the reason I say it like that is because I think you're jumping the gun. Like people, people go, and I don't mean to be blunt. Um, Heather, Heather, uh, So I apologize if that sounded like I was being a dick, but I just I just see too many people rush the process and they're just hurting themselves. You know, it's like you're if you're reverse dieting right now, it's because that you already dieted. And that means you already were in a deficit, either A, you stressed your body out to a point where you needed to reverse, or B, you didn't get to the result because you probably weren't either A, adhering to it, or B, ready to diet. And in either one of those cases, you stressed your body out without getting the result you desired, which means no matter what, if you were in any of those situations, you have to spend time at maintenance because that's how you get healthy. That's what we talked about on the stress podcast. You have to get your body healthy and ready physiologically to diet before you go back into a diet. So if you're in the middle of a reverse diet and you're already thinking about cutting, I think you need to work on mindset. I think you need to work on periodization. I think you need to think big picture. I think you need to have a coach that's gonna work with you on more things than just macros. And you have to really start to dial in, like, what do I want out of this long-term? Because if you're already thinking about jumping into a deficit you need to reprioritize things. It's just, you gotta, you gotta follow through with the, the cut because if you jump to a mini cut right now in the middle of a reverse diet, most likely it's not gonna work out because your body's not ready to diet, um, it's gonna meet, which is gonna lead to you needing to reverse diet again and or for longer, which is gonna set you back even further from dieting in the future. And now you're just like extending yourself further and further out from where you wanna be with your body. Um, I always tell people like, if you wanna get really lean, Think in big picture and spend time preparing your body to get lean so that you can eventually actually get lean. If you keep jumping the gun and going, okay, I'm ready. Oh, no, I'm not. Okay, I'm ready. No, I'm not. You're just going to literally drag it on further and further. So, a lot of people listening will be like, fuck, a year? I don't want to think about like next January being super lean, right? Like, that's so far away. But if you keep bouncing back and forth between diets and bouncing in and out of deficits because they're not working and you're not spending enough time healing your body, that next January is going to be January 2022 yeah. or 23 because you're going to keep playing this yo-yo game. Um, I got a really—it's actually the testimonial I sent you to yeah, yeah. create a graphic off of. Like it was the coolest fucking thing because this guy basically went through a bunch of cheap online coaching programs and then he was like, "Fuck, okay, I'm going to commit to you. You're a little bit more expensive than um, my other coach that I hired, um, but I only want to do three months." I was like, "Okay, cool." He stayed with me for 13 months and we lost 40 pounds and spent probably about like three or four months reverse dieting and building muscle. And the dude looks night and day difference. Like I'll show you the testimony later. He's like middle-aged dude that like lost 40 pounds and just got jacked. And he's just like swole now. Um, and he has family, daughter, busy life, like a uh, huge football fan. So like macros are out the door on football Sunday. Like, it's just like, we fit it in with his life and he periodized it. Cause I was like, Hey, Like, I know you're only here for three months, quote unquote, but I'm going to plan for a year so that you can at least have this knowledge when you leave, if you do leave in three months. Thankfully he didn't leave, but we had this periodization plan and he literally just kept losing and losing and losing and losing until we got to the goal. And then we reversed. Now he's gaining and I let let him leave with a solid plan, but it's because he committed to a year instead of three months. He was like, I want to get shredded in three months. I was like, Hey, let's get shredded in six, six to eight, and then reverse out of it. And because he committed to that, he's in a much better place. And now he, I mean, you saw the testimony he sent back. He's like. He was like, I've ha- I've retained more knowledge like from two you. Two pages long. Dude, it was huge. And, he, and the funny thing is he was like, I'm gonna make this brief so I don't waste our time. Yeah. And he just kept going. <laughs> and But it was super cool because he was like, man, I, I'm so thankful I committed to the investment of a year of coaching because now I have the knowledge to do this for longer and longer. Um, my results aren't going anywhere. I haven't gained any weight back. It's like continuing to progress. But that's the result that happens when you hire somebody and you commit to a long period of time and they go, okay. Here's the phases of this diet and how it's going to stick with you long term. And you just trust the process. And that, I mean, that's really what it's about. So um, can you mini cut during reverse? Can you? Yeah, you can do whatever you want. Is it going to work? Probably not. I think there's very little cases where it actually would work. Um, and in the situation that it would work, you're probably going to be in a place where you reverse dieted very aggressively. So your calories are high enough to where you can actually pull from them. Yeah. Um, but that's just very rare. Like you need to spend time at maintenance to heal your body before you can do that.
1: All right. Uh, next question. We're going to go to and Healy. Do you adjust training for people who have hyp- hypothyroidism? That was challenging. <laughs> if they are trying to get their thyroid f- uh, firing op- optimally, what are you doing with their nutrition and lifestyle?
0: Oh, that's funny. I'm going to get you uh, hooked on phonics for physiology terms.
1: You're a dick. <laughs> 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 oh, my God.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, just fuck with you. Um, Okay, so. Don't hire him. How do (laughs) I. (laughs) Fucking shameless plug. (laughs) Uh, um, How do I adjust training and nutrition for hypothyroidism? I'm pretty sure. Nutrition and lifestyle. Okay. Um, Nutrition lifestyle and training. I think she said, do you adjust training? Yeah. So, do I adjust training? Not really. I think this is just like. Because I think people. Sometimes people get into the semantics of this stuff too much. And it's like. Like, what's the most optimal rep range if I have a hormonal deficiency in this or like during my cycle and stuff? And it's really just like we have these gauges volume, intensity, right? Frequency is going to stay the same. You have your schedule, you have your split, keep doing that. Um, and we gauge volume and intensity based on your lifestyle, based on your stresses, and based on how your hormones are doing. But that really is the same thing as stress, right? Yeah. So when we look at stress, like, okay. Do you have joint stress, your joints are in pain? Yes, okay, let's dial down volume because too much repetitive movement is probably gonna stress those out more, okay? Do you have uh, neurological stress, like whether it's emotional, physical, uh, work, whatever it may be, psychological and uh, physiological stress. Let's dial that intensity down because that's load and that's the most neurologically demanding thing. Yeah. You can keep volume up higher. Um, Do you have hormonal stress? Let's probably dial both down. So in the hypothyroidism situation, we're probably gonna just dial back a little bit so you can better recover. And then as we go, we're gonna keep dialing up very, very slowly and assessing how you feel. So with a client that has that, I might start with, let's say, a three-day strength program with three days of like mobility, flow, and conditioning. Very, very basic, not too much whatsoever they feel great after two weeks. We'll dial it up a little bit. Hey, we're going to go four days a week of lifting. Each session is a little bit lower volume than your other sessions were, but there's four. So your total weekly volume is a little bit higher. Okay, cool. How do you feel? Great. Okay. After a few weeks, let's dial up volume a little bit more, assuming aesthetics are their goal. And we just kind of keep cranking that up until they're like, okay, I'm starting to feel pretty like their biofeedback kind of starts to hit a tank. We know we're kind of overreaching. Then we dial that back and we kind of find that sweet spot. Um, And it's the same thing with realistic that's the same thing with you come to me. You don't have any hormonal issues and you're like, hey, I want to build muscle. Okay, cool. Let's start with three days and then we'll dial volume up over time until we get to a sweet spot where you're seriously making progress, right? We start with the minimal effective dose and we, we kind of find where your, your minimal effective volume is, your MEV, and then we kind of dial and dial and dial until we hit that maximum recoverable volume. And then once we hit that, we know your maximum amount that you can r- recover from and we pull back. Because you don't want to stay in MRV the maximum amount you can do because then you're basically redlining 24-7. You, you hit that every once in a while and then you pull back to recover from it. So now we're in that, uh, I think it's maximum adaptive volume, the most effective volume load basically for you. And that's the same thing with them. They have, they have Hashimoto's, they have hypothyroidism. It's basically um, a hormonal stressor and we're just going to dial the intensity and volume do- toggles until we hit that point. But it's individual for everybody. So there's not, I'm not going to sit here and say, I'd probably use the trap bar deadlift instead of a sumo deadlift for, you know what I mean? It's not, it's not about that kind of specifics. Um, and as far as nutrition and lifestyle, lifestyle is obvious, more sleep, less minimally pro, or less processed foods. So more minimally processed foods, more whole foods. Um, I made a post about that today and, and, and I added, um, you ever know, have you ever typed in whole foods on your phone? Probably not. No. It always auto-corrects it to be capitalized because of the Whole Foods company. It drives me crazy. And mm-hmm. I try to like cut it back. And every time I cut it back and then hit space, it does it again. It's so fucking annoying. You can change that. Um, you can change?
1: You can program for words that automatic don't. Oh, really? Yeah. Dope. Punctuation inside accessibility.
0: Oh, huge iPhone guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, minimally processed foods. Uh, we're going to make sure you're not in a deficit. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say that because there's two sides of this, right? So like people with hypothyroidism typically have a slow uh, a metabolism that's a little bit slower. Therefore, sometimes they actually need to lose weight. And if you lost body fat, it would help the thyroid issue. Whereas a hyperthyroidism is where you have a super fast metabolism and usually you're, you're losing weight too fast. You need, to, you need to increase. But what this also means is, you know, and this is the same with PCOS, like sometimes people are like, oh, I can't lose weight even when I'm in a deficit. It's like, no, because you have this hormonal issue, whether it's hypothyroidism or PCOS, your metabolism has actually slowed down a little bit. And therefore your maintenance is lower than what a calculator is going to give you. So you're at your calculated deficit off of an internet forum and you're not seeing progress, but realistically, because of your just uh, dist- uh, inefficiency or dysfunction, whatever you want to call it, yep. your maintenance is actually a little bit lower than that. So you're just mm-hmm. not in a deficit. Yeah. Um, and I think a cyclical deficit is actually going to be, is going to be good for you because you'll lose weight and that'll help with the hypothyroidism. And there's studies that show like being in a slight deficit is actually promoting a longer lifespan. Um, it's just that we can't constantly be in a deficit because it's just too much stress on top of training. So I think it kind of changes the context, but probably a cyclical deficit. So more frequent high, high calorie days, Um, I like a very, very balanced. There's actually some good research on this with hypothyroidism, but like very, very balanced diet to where it's like five meals a day. So you have a frequent feeding, um, even spread protein. That's basically going to be the same with everybody, but then an even spread of fat and carbs. So you don't have high carb meals or high fat meals or a low carb day or anything like that. Um, because some people would think that like, you know, because I have a slower metabolism or PCOS or whatever it may be and insulin sensitivity issues, I'm going to drop carbs, but it's like. You don't want a ton of carbs, but you actually want steady carbs throughout the day. So maybe you don't have a high carb limit, but you're having you know 20 to 40 grams of carbs in every meal from complex, slow digesting uh, foods, and then a moderate amount of fat. So now your day is like even spread of protein, fat, and carbs in every single meal. So it's really easy to meal prep, but you just have that constant nutrition. There's no uh, like undulation of calories. Um, that works really well. And there's actually some good research to show like spreading it out like that way so you don't have a big bolus of carbs in a single meal, but rather an even spread. Um, and yeah, that's basically what I would do. Sometimes Hashimoto or uh, hypothyroidism uh, causes or is associated with Hashimoto's. They're in a sense very similar. And some people will have Hashimoto's and and some people will have just hypothyroidism. But if you have Hashimoto's with this, um, I probably would suggest somewhat of an elimination diet or like a low FODMAP diet because there are some um, gut properties associated with this. But in general, I'm probably going even spread, minimally processed foods, um, and then really just not being in a huge deficit, but just having a, a gradual deficit with frequent refeeds. And then last but not least, lifestyle, just manage stress. I think that's the one where everybody wants hacks. There's no hack. Get sleep, have a positive mindset, and try to stress less. If you do those things, your body will heal faster and your hypothyroidism will improve yep love
1: it all right um next lars eric Garnes warslaw whoa shout out do you have any suggestions on how to raise testosterone levels after a restrictive eating disorder being a 22 22 year old man still being pretty lean seven to eight percent body fat is it is more fat required
0: Mm. um it depends on how what you mean by the, the context of fat. Um, so you might be meaning like literal fat of like how much you're eating like in your diet. Um, and it depends. If you're eating 40 grams fat a day, probably. You're probably going to need more fat. So I would say uh, consume uh, 0.5 grams per pound. So if you weigh 180 pounds, that's 90 grams fat a day. Um, you're you're going to want to be somewhere between at least 0.4 but up to 0.5 grams uh, per pound. Um, That way it's not a super high-fat diet, but you're getting enough for sure. If you're already at that range, then I would say you actually need more body fat, so you actually need to just gain weight. Um, I honestly think you should go back and listen to the podcast that we actually recorded mainly for women, but I mentioned multiple times. We we recorded for women because they were who asked the question and we were talking about Stephanie Buttermore. Um, But I spoke on that a couple times about how this applies to men too. Like if you're that lean and you're having low testosterone levels, you probably dieted down and then reverse diet so successfully that you didn't gain any weight afterwards and your hormones stay, su- stayed suppressed and therefore you need to just gain weight. So what I would do is actually go all in, quote unquote, and just eat way more food. Yeah. Let yourself gain some body fat, um, lower training volume if you need to, but if you really enjoy training and you want to build muscle, keep training volume up and then increase calories higher and then make sure you're getting Heal 78 hours. Of food. Yeah, way more food. And then in in- Sleep seven and hour eight hours a night, um, and then the other thing of this too is like if you if you can do all those things and in th- six months you're you go get another uh, blood test and your testosterone's not increased, you might need to look for uh, like go yeah go go talk to an endocrinologist and, and speak about hormone replacement therapy or like some more natural stuff. And I mean you can take ashwagandha. Um, like 500 milligrams a day. You can take, um, for scolin. And there's like some herbs and adaptogens that are known to help. Um, obviously if you're deficient in zinc, take zinc. Um, if you're not taking vitamin D do that because you're probably deficient in that most of us are, um, like little things like that help, but they're like 1%. They're like just such yeah. a small little tick. Um, the biggest thing is going to be body fat and then total intake. So I would make sure you're getting seven, eight hours of sleep. Cause that's the sleep and food are the two biggest precursors for, uh, testosterone production. So getting your sleep and getting enough calories. And if you can do that for six months and it's not increasing because it doesn't happen overnight, then I would go see a specialist. And yeah. it's unfortunate because you're only 22 and you shouldn't need, uh, any type of replacement or anything like that, but it happens. I mean, and there's even people who, like I was telling you about this, um, cause I have had slowly like not to dangerous levels, but slowly declining testosterone. And I spoke to a specialist just to get some more information. And they even wanna do a test to see, um, because when I got jumped, I had a concussion and I worked in the hospital and stuff. If there was damage to the hypothalamus in my brain, which is a part of your brain that helps um, with uh, your pituitary gland, which is part of the, the gland that actually helps produce testosterone in these different hormones, Um, if you have a damage to your hypothalamus, then you can delay the signaling to your uh, pituitary gland and that can cause a lower testosterone level. And that's just from getting hit in the head. Um, so like if you had past injuries like that, I would probably go get checked out too, because, and it has to be a pretty traumatic, like I got, I got blasted in the head with a bottle and then kicked in the head. Like it, it has to be pretty serious or like um, really bad football accidents or car accidents and stuff like that are usually what cause it. But if you have had a traumatic head injury, go get it checked because you could buy all the adaptogens in the world, sleep fucking 10 hours a night, eat 100 grams of fat a day and nothing happens because you have this damage to your hypothalamus.
1: Um, you need formally looked at.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But if you don't have any traumatic history, then increase the diet, get uh, half your body weight and fat, um, make sure you're not in a deficit. So I would be in a very, like a slight surplus. You don't want to be in a huge surplus to where you just start getting fat because that doesn't help. Too much body fat actually makes it worse. Uh, but you want to be in a small surplus or at least at maintenance, and then just manage stress and sleep. If that doesn't work after six months, go get it checked. Yep.
1: All right. So uh, the next one is from the
0: Mister Davis. Do you think that's Meister? Like, isn't a Meister like a or am I thinking of a maestro, or a maestro? I'm thinking of a maestro. Maestro. Okay, so it's not a me a meester. This must be Mister. Mister. That's Steve S- Stephen Davis. I know he's one of my clients, oh. but I've always wondered. I was like, is it Mister?
1: <laughs> How much should someone focus on form control?
0: So this came from a conversation on he. So he asked me that in context of a post that. I want to say Mike Israel. Dr. Mike Israel posted, but it was sharing, um, of another guy. So this guy monster, uh, and I agree with Steven what, Davis? no. St- well, yeah, Steven, <laughs> Steven's jack too. I do his, I do his training and nutrition. Um, and he's been gaining, but he actually, he might come by cause he's local. He might come by, um, and get a lift in one day. Nice. Um, but the post was about a dude that was super jacked. He was doing bent rows with like 400 pounds. So you know what a bent row is, right? Like yes. barbell bent row. Imagine 400 fucking pounds. Yeah, that, dude, insane. But now the guy is doing bent rows with like 180 pounds and getting more out of it. And that was what the post was about. And so this is this kind of argument of like, like total load, like how much you can lift is going to determine how much you can grow versus how well you can – contract your muscles. So this guy's argument is with 180 pounds, I can have perfect form and I can have a more maximally stimulating contraction to the muscle. And therefore that's going to create more tension and that's going to build more muscle. And Mike was kind of agreeing with, I didn't write, read Mike's write up on it, but Stephen was just kind of asking like, what's the relevance of this? Like how important is that form? And this, I think, or no, I was talking about this on Mike Milner's podcast. Cause we just recorded an interview on his but this is where we get in this battle of like total volume versus junk volume, right? So if you're doing a bunch of volume, let's use the bicep curls, for example. It's really easy. Like you have a barbell and you add load so you can have technically more volume. But I get halfway up and I can't control the movement. So what do I do? My body is going to um, compensate to get the barbell up because it knows in my head I'm trying to move the barbell up. So what do I do? I shrug because that gets it higher and then I lean back. Arch your back. Exactly. Yeah. So now I do two things. I activate my traps and I activate my spinal erectors by leaning back. So now I'm doing like a half bicep curl, half shrug, half back extension, and then I get it up. So is that more effective or is a bicep curl with a lighter load more effective that I can go through a full range of motion and only use my biceps? Yeah. I would argue only using my biceps because the traps are a bigger muscle and momentum from my back isn't going to – like neither one of those things are going to – Stimulate hypertrophy in my traps or back, and it's going to limit the hypertrophy of my arms. So two things are happening here: you at best get the same amount of total volume on your actual bicep um, because you're doing a shitty rep versus a perfect rep with your biceps. So at best, maybe maybe the higher load kind of equates it, and you have the same volume, but most likely less volume from doing that shitty form. But the nervous system fatigue or the systemic fatigue, total fatigue on your body, your muscles, your joints, your nervous system is going to be higher because you're using momentum and you're using more load. Gotcha. So now we can have more effective volume with a lighter load and have less systemic fatigue, which means tomorrow I can get back in the gym and train harder. Yeah. So over the course of a month, it's going to be more effective. And I think it's obvious to say that the injury risk is much lower when you're not compensating and swinging shit around. Um, So I think – like the hierarchy of this stuff goes, like first comes like motor control. Um, And this is actually how I literally look at like if, if a brand new person steps foot into our facility and is like, how would you periodize my year? I've never trained in my life. I'm probably going to say, we're first going to work on motor control. This means we're not really focusing on how much loads on the bar. We're not focusing on how much total volume I'm focusing on you feeling the right muscles working while you're training and having control through those ranges of motion. Actually, this is a really good example of you getting back into this with like trying to rehab your knee a little bit and like the step ups and all these movements we're doing super slow, really focused on control because I want your motor recruitment to be really good. So when we start adding load or volume, you're doing things properly and you're not getting injured and you're building muscle in the right places. So we focus on motor control, which is basically the idea of being able to recruit recruit motor units and the proper muscle fibers. So if I'm doing a squat, am I feeling the muscles associated with squat? Am I in pain? Am I going through a full range of motion? Am I doing it properly? After you lock that in for a certain phase, then we are going to add uh, muscular endurance. And this is where we go. Okay, we're doing five reps with perfect form. Now we're going to do 10, 12, 15, 20 reps. Like I want you to feel that burn. I want you to feel a pump. I want you to be able to push through that threshold of being uncomfortable. Um, it's kind of like this, this not necessarily lactic acid, but that, that burning pump. Like you want to be able to actively pursue good form and execution while being kind of uncomfortable or like almost... Challenged, Challenged and, and painful in a way like when you get that burning sensation. Um, after you can successfully do that, then we move on to adding serious amounts of load because now you have proper movement and you have proper endurance with that muscle in the joint. Now we can add load to function. That's what I told him. It's like if you can create function, then you can add load and, and build volume on top of that. And your volume is effective volume. If you skip those steps and you go right to just trying to add more and more reps or more and more weight, it's junk volume. It's momentum. It's, it's creating imbalances and injuries. And it's essentially using all the different muscles to get the weight up. Yeah. The only argument I can make in the reverse is if you are purely focused on being as strong as possible, at certain times, if you were doing a heavy deadlift, I really don't care if you properly feel your lats and your glutes. Did you get the weight up and did you finish the rep? Because your goal is to lift as heavy as you can. But I think that's an appetite for injury. Yeah. So in the sense of like, it's a neurological stimulus. So like, for example, if you have a, a powerlifting meet and you go to your meet and you round your back and you're shaking, but you get the bar up and you win the competition, you might be sore or have some imbalances next day or whatever. You probably didn't do that in your, your lead up to that event. But if you, you're kind of having some aches and pains after the meet, because you did whatever you could to get the bar up, but you won, that's a win. I'm not gonna hate on that, that's your goal. But if your goal while you're listening to this podcast is to build a body, build a physique, generally get stronger and actually look better, I think you have to work in that fashion and focus on Motor unit control and, and skill and form in, in creating function with the movement, then add volume through muscular endurance and being able to endure long periods of time under load and tension, and then eventually add serious amounts of weight so you can progress your volume um, via load and intensity. Yeah. Does that make sense? Love it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like it's basically one of those things of like create function and then enhance that function by adding load and volume to it. Yeah. Um, but that's also too, why I think people need to be aware of, of how they feel with certain movements. Like if you know, a movement is supposed to hit your quads and you don't feel it with your quads, pick a different movement. Um, I had somebody in the elite ask a question this week about, um, what was the movement? Uh, it was, it was some kind of leg movement and they basically like, it just didn't feel good on their joints. It, It didn't match their bio mechanics. And they were like, am I screwed? Should I switch program? I was like, no, do this, 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 or this. And there was like a bunch of different movement patterns that still hit all the same muscle groups. And I was like, if these feel better for you, that's perfect. Like for example, a squat, there's nothing special about a squat. Like should people be able to functionally do like a bodyweight squat to a bench? Of course. But like a barbell back squat, that isn't like, there's nothing superior about it. Barbell squat, barbell front squat, safety bar squat, box squat, goblet squat, landmine squat, split squat, leg press, hack squat. They're all squats and knee flexion-based movements that work your quad. So whatever is going to work best with your femur length and your torso length, that's what you should be doing. Yeah. Because that's going to lead to growth without dysfunction.
1: It just blows my mind that back to the original question, like he went from 400 pounds, my bad, uh, 400 pounds to 180 pounds. It's crazy. That's a huge jump. Yeah. Why wasn't it down to 250?
0: Because he was probably like swinging the bar and sh- – driving it up, and he might have been exaggerating, who knows, and and this is the other thing too, he might have gone, gone from like,
1: that's a lot of work like, to take off,
0: he might have gone from like three explosive shaking reps, like swinging the bar, to like seven super slow, controlled, even like dropping his scapula at the bottom, then mm-hmm. retracting, like going through the full range of motion, which is like both ends of the spectrum, yeah. like swinging uncontrolled, ballistic rep with heavy weight to like ultra slow controlled weight, which also isn't necessary all the time. Like there's been times where I've taken um, even like a front squat, like I front squatted 315, which was a lot for a front squat to be able to hold there. But I bounced out of the hole. It was kind of like rounding my back, kind of shitty. It was like not a very good rep to dropping the load to like 225, pausing at the bottom, ripping my knees out, staying upright and perfecting the rep for sure. You know what I mean? I wasn't taking 10 seconds to descend but I was perfecting that rep. And because I did that, I felt better. And then I ended up working up that, that pause squat to like 275 for like a few reps, which is really good for like a controlled rep. Yeah. Um, but it took me going from 315 to 225 and then slowly working back up to 275 with control. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, Absolutely. Um, it's all context specific though.
1: Yep. We got one? Yep. Is there That's more? One One more. All right. So last question is going to be from Amida Dillon, what to look for in a GDA? Are they worth it? From a naive person, what's a GDA?
0: I don't know. Do you? Nope. I'm just joking. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> Mike, uh, next question. <laughs> uh, a GDA is a glucose disposal agent. So a glucose disposal agent is a supplement that typically has a su- – I don't like, again, uh, same thing with the first question, the proprietary blends. Because if you get a GDA with a blend and it's like, let's say it's cinnamon, berberine, and ALA. And those are all three uh, glucose disposal agents technically. But let's say it has a shit ton of cinnamon and then barely any ALA or or chromium or berberine. Then you're basically getting a ton of cinnamon in a pill. Just put some fucking cinnamon on your oats, which it works. Um, So I'm not a huge fan of GDAs. Um, There's also some, um, I'm not 100%... I'm gonna put a link to this in the show notes because it's a good article. It's debatable, but there's some good points with it. I, I believe it's actually by somebody, actually, I think I'm interviewing him tomorrow. Um, uh, Miguel, um, I'm, I'm blanking on his last name, but really intelligent dude, and he wrote a blog for Revive Stronger, And it was talking about that actually, I want to say it shut off the mTOR pathway post-workout so it actually can blunt protein synthesis and muscle growth. So first and foremost, don't take a GDA post-workout even though the idea behind a GDA is essentially to improve insulin sensitivity so you can absorb carbohydrates better. Mm -hmm. But I would take a GDA pre-workout or on other meals where you have a starchy meal because it, it might allow the body to shuttle nutrients into the muscle cell better. So essentially what a GDA does is I, I, I believe they were originally kind of created for diabetics, um, specifically metformin, which is a pharmaceutical grade. So it's like you actually have to get a prescription for this. But um, what it does is it basically not only does it enhance and in- create longevity in your life. It's actually something that can promote longevity from a lot of the cool research that's coming out lately. But um, it essentially improves insulin sensitivity, which allows the body to take carbohydrates and store them as glycogen in the muscle cell more effectively and more efficiently um, versus having these uh, absurd like blood sugar drops or insulin spikes and things like that. So it's just a way to shuttle nutrients into the cell a little bit better. So for body composition, purposes it makes sense it can be beneficial Um, however you don't want to take a post-workout because of that mTOR signaling um, issue and if we mess with the mTOR signaling issue we can have uh, issues with muscle growth Uh, plus when we train hard insulin sensitivity goes through the roof so it's kind of a waste of the supplement to take it then anyway because your insulin sensitivity is already high around training Um, that being said I don't like GDA products because a lot of times they don't have enough of the things that actually work. So when I recommend GDAs of any form, um, I recommend A, if you eat oats or sweet potatoes and you like cinnamon on them, put them on there. It can help a little bit because cinnamon is a natural GDA, but I don't think you need to take a pill for it. Um, I put cinnamon on my oats in the morning, right? And then the other side of it is berberin. So berberin is a natural uh, herb that is is found naturally. And it's actually been shown in research to be just as effective as metformin, which is the pharmaceutical grade one built for um, diabetics. So it's just as effective and there's a lot of like immune and longevity health benefits with bourbon ber- as well. Um, it's cheap and you don't have to have this GDA with a bunch of stuff in it. So if you usually buy a GDA that it's a complex with a bunch of stuff, it'll have like, I've seen like a hundred, most I've seen in the GDA, someone was like 250 milligrams of bourberin and you need 500, you need 400 to 500 per meal for it to be effective and up to like 2,500 per day total. I don't think any, any more than that. You just get the shits basically, but um Instead of buying a GDA that's overpriced and underformulated, underdosed, just buy Berberine. It's cheaper. I usually use uh, Swanson because Swanson's like a really well-known company. It's actually third-party tested, and so on and so forth. Um, and I think theirs is like 400 milligrams capsule. Take one of those with every meal. The only times I really recommend it are for um, a clients that are on like more specific or more advanced strategies like if you have a gen pop client who just needs to generally lose weight it's not going to make a massive difference it's kind of splitting hairs and it's just adding to the tasks that they have to do so rather i focus on people who are into the science and they want to take supplements they want to invest in more of that stuff and they like the nitty-gritty i will use it um, especially when people are getting super lean i use it every single day Um, every once in a while cycle off of it just because i do think it's good to cycle off most supplements. Um, but I love it. I think it helps with digestion. It helps with carb absorption. And I think it helps maintain a leaner physique while increasing carbohydrates. So, um, Swanson, Berberin, um,
1: how much uh, cinnamon do you guys recommend?
0: I don't know the exact milligrams. Um, if people listen and go to com, you can get information on exactly how much. Um, I don't measure though. I just, okay. just, just dump it on my, uh, my oats, but I, I mean, like Shannon will say, do you want some oats with your cinnamon? Like I, I mean I put a lot of, of cinnamon. cinnamon. Oh, yeah, I do. I love cinnamon. What I've been doing lately, this is actually really good. Here's a little recipe for you listeners. I put oats, a bunch of cinnamon, some stevia, sweeten it up, and then I put um, obviously water, Make get the – boil the water, pour it in there, get the oatmeal like hot and ready, and then I put a tablespoon of peanut butter in there, and then I dice up a uh, banana – throw it in there and just mash it all up and it's like the cinnamon banana peanut butter dude it's so fucking good i have it every morning so um tell your breakfast that's my breakfast along with a big thing of eggs and spinach breakfast is by far my biggest meal of the day huge egg scramble like spinach egg whites whole egg with olive oil cooked in that one full cup of oats it's like it's like a solid i mean my breakfast is like solid 100 grams carbs at least oats banana peanut butter It's, dude, it's big. It's like a 700 to 800 calorie meal. Gotcha. At least. And then just coffee on the side. And then I drink the greens and hydrate formula from Top Notch with that. Biggest meal of the day. That's because Danny Lennon talked me into it. Chrono Nutrition episode. Don't know what episode it was, but really good episode. Check that out. We'll Link it in the show notes. Before I let you go.